Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. We are in week three of the Writers Guild strike and we're glad to be able to still bring you original content without violating any guild rules. Uh, so much to say about the strike. So many people who are out there saying it much better than I can. Uh, I would recommend, if you're not already listening to my partner Ben Blacker's Writer's Panel podcast, he's had some great strike-related content. Uh, lots of great people to follow on Twitter. I will say a couple things that feel different than the 2007 strike. The Guild feels much more unified this time. I think things have just gotten so bad for writers at every level, from staff writer to showrunner, that I don't hear any grumbling this time about whether or not the strike is worth it, and there was a decent amount of that last time. Uh, support from the other guilds, from IATSE, from the Teamsters, also a huge improvement over last time. I certainly was uh, flipped the bird by my share of truck drivers in 07, and this year they're all honking in support. Everyone seems to really understand how corporate greed and consolidation and the single-minded pursuit of Wall Street stock returns has come close to just breaking this business. Uh, television shows and movies are not a commodity. Um, that seems to have been getting lost. So we're out on those picket lines. We're fighting for a lot of people who are not writers, but we're also well aware of how many people whose income relies on television and film production are going to suffer because of this strike. So if you do want to help, uh, consider donating to the Entertainment Community Fund. You know They provide emergency financial assistance to people assistance to people in the industry uh, and one cool thing that I found out about a lot of writers I've talked to on the picket lines are not aware of this is uh, WGA strike shirts.com some enterprising guild member has designed a bunch of cool uh, writers guild strike shirts and is donating the profits to the entertainment community fund you know those blue guild shirts you know they're fine they're a little boxy um, these uh, seem like they're better quality. I'm waiting for mine to arrive, so I can't say for sure. I like the designs, and it's a great cause. Uh, this isn't any kind of sponsored message. This is just something I thought was cool. Check it out at WGAStrikeShirts.com. Our pilot this month comes from a writing team I've been trying to get on the podcast for a long time. Kat Lickle and John Hoberg, they're a married writing team whose credits include My Name is Earl, Blackish, Gallivant. They wrote the upcoming Pixar movie, Elemental, and their dead pilot is Kings of Ohio. Cat uh, and John grew up in Ohio and Kansas, and they wrote this to try to capture some of the desperation that was going on in the Rust Belt. I know that makes it sound heavy. It's not. It's a really fun show with a great sense of place and a King of the Hill, My Name is Earl tone about a guy who's trying to get his wife to take him back and his two lovable but deeply flawed friends. Uh, our cast from Single Drunk Female, Garrick Bernard, from Home Economics, returning uh, Dead Pilot Society cast member Dustin Ibarra, from American Auto, Carl Tart, from 911 Lone Star, Serena Fialo, a couple more Dead Pilot Society regulars from Blood and Treasure uh, and from the Dulo episode of this podcast, uh, Mark Gagliardi uh, from Venture Brothers and many Dead Pilot Society readings, Hal Lublin. Um, 
just a great small but just a fantastic cast if you want to see their faces on zoom become a max fund member for as little as five dollars a month get access to all the video all of our bonus content go to maximumfund.org join and now enjoy kings of ohio after a brief message Trans representation in media is at an all-time high with trans entertainers gracing the screens large and small. But trans voices, especially black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist, and better half of the Max Fun Podcast, Fanta, Travel Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Shar Jossel. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. Now listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation. It's giving kitchen table talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse honey tune in to we see each other the podcast at maximumfun.org or wherever you get slayworthy audio cat and john great to have you it's i've been trying for a long time to get you guys on this podcast and we finally made it happen well i'm finally excited to see you andrew i hear about you all the time from john and i never i've this is the first time i've ever seen your face so I know, I know. So you weren't at that. Um, anyway, we don't need to talk about this. Yeah. It's nice we'll to see your. It it's we'll nice to see. It's nice to see your face too. Um, thank you so much for uh, letting us finally uh, do one of your dead pilots. Let's. Why don't you tell folks what we're about to hear? Uh, this is uh, Kings of Ohio, which Cat uh, and I both grew up in small towns in the Midwest, and this one weirdly goes back to like two thousand and three or four. And uh, we, the, the idea for it, and we had this idea of writing about people we grew up around and a lot of people were feeling left behind in the Midwest in the Rust Belt kind of areas. And uh, we loved this idea. The original cold open was actually going to be the, the former jock, the guy who's now, you know, kind of our lead, sitting in his old Trans Am overlooking the football field. And uh, you discover he's got like a tube in the back to kill himself because that was his one place where things were good. And then his buddy hopped in the car. He's like, hey, man, what's going? He tried to cover it. And then they slowly just passed out and drove through, the, you know, knocked out the field. <laughs> but there was this real kind of Rust Belty vibe. And then it was the year that My Name is Earl started circulating the script for that. And we read that and we're like, that's way better than what we're doing. And then we put this aside and put all of our focus on to getting on My Name is Earl. So we're like, we really could contribute to that that show. And we spent four years there. And then at the end of our deal at ABC, we wanted to kind of get back to this because we couldn't shake this group of characters. And and uh, it kind of came up with a story that was a little more, you know, I don't know, made some more sense, I think, than what we had originally. And I think that, is that right, Kat? Is that kind of the yeah, origin of this? Yeah, that sounds pretty much right. If it's not, if it's not true, it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Was it right, your... We just wrote it last week. That's why we had to get it over. <laughs> was it the sample that they read at My Name is Earl? No, because we only had. Oh, you hadn't actually read... written it. You had just sort of, it, you, it was yeah. just a pitch at that point. It, well, it was, we'd had a bunch of scenes. It was called mullets back then because they all had mullets. And that was the thing that pulled them together. <laughs> and uh, there was, I think the ice fishing was there, this idea of ice fishing and stuff like that. But no, we got hired. I think it was off of Sex in the City for My Name is Earl of all things. Um, all right. Well, we're already giving stuff away by talking about ice fishing. And all right, let's. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's no okay. Sorry. No spoilers. That's why Kat should have talked. Um, no, this is great, and we will talk more 
um you know i i'm excited to i'm so excited to talk to the two of you all right but let's read it this is kings of ohio written by cat lickle and john hoberg act one we fade in southern ohio establishing shot of portsmouth in the early evening it's winter we're in the wealthy part of town although wealthy is relative in this part of the rust belt there's light snow on the ground and the trees have been leafless for months and although it's only 4.30, the sun is near the horizon. In the driveway of a large house sits a rust-spotted 1990s Trans Am with T-tops. We hear the sound of construction. We're in a large house in the den. Protective plastic is taped up here and there, and three guys in their 30s do demolition on a wall. They are Brad, our lead, handsome, unexpectedly smart, loyal, that gentle hero in a battle that will never leave a man behind. Ronnie, wiry, high-strung, fists the size of tangerines, not crazily bright, always has what he thinks is a brilliant scheme that never is, and usually blows up in his face. He's that coward in a battle who will leave everyone behind. And Carl. He's large, frightening, quiet with a hint of simmering rage, but would stand in front of a truck for his friends. Carl is just about to sledgehammer a built-in shelf when Ronnie stops him. Whoa there, Carl. That's 100% mahogany. Why don't I just move these pieces over to a pile? Ronnie goes to collect the boards. Oh my God. Don't get caught taking stuff from the site again, Ronnie. Like, I, I need this job. It's just a couple of boards. All right, all right. But I don't know why anyone would care. I mean, look at this place. These people are sugar ray rich. How the hell does anyone get this kind of money anyway? Not about breaking down walls, that's for sure. You don't know. The guy probably worked hard for it. Uh, yeah, in his safe little office where the biggest thing he's got to worry about is getting a paper cut from counting all his money. Man's got a point. There's no point, Carl. Ronnie just wants to steal boards. No, no, no. I got a point. And, and, and the point is, you ever notice the less a man gets paid, the more dangerous his work is? I mean, I wouldn't say what we do is dangerous. There's a quick series of flashbacks. Ronnie, Carl, and Brad are at a construction site. Brad hits his hand with a hammer. Carl steps on a board that flips up and slams his face. Carl hangs drywall. We hear Ronnie scream. Look out below! And Ronnie falls from above and lands on Carl, taking him down. We resume the scene. Brad shakes his head. Oh, okay, maybe a little dangerous. But it doesn't mean that you guys can get those boards. Fine. The plant shuts down and we're all left fighting over scraps. Do you ever feel like the world's a deck of cards and we're just the jokers set off to the side? This is exactly what Brad is worried about. I, I don't know, Ronnie. Just then, Carl breaks through the wall and sunlight pours over the guys' faces. It's a beautiful sunset. But I mean, but I, but I bet the man who owns this house doesn't just sit down with a beer at the end of the day, look at a sunset and feel like he's earned it. They all lean on their equipment and enjoy the view. And then... Ronnie, weren't you supposed to mark the east wall for demo? Mm, yeah. Oh, crap. Um, Miller time? Ronnie drops his sledgehammer and runs. Carl joins him. Brad hangs his head. This is not the first time this kind of thing has happened. And we see our opening titles, The Kings of Ohio. An establishing shot of a small blue-collar house on a blue-collar street. And while it's clear whoever lives here doesn't have a lot of money, they tried to make an effort to make it nice. Ronnie's Trans Am pulls up to the sidewalk. 
Ronnie starts to open the door, but Brad stops him. Uh, you might want to wait here. You know how Darla can be. All right. Yeah, that's okay. I got smoke screen material. Ronnie holds up a free newspaper and turns immediately to the back to the escort section. Plenty to keep me busy. Hello, my ladies. Brad laughs and hops out of the car, walks up the sidewalk and knocks on the door. Darla enters. She's 30, pretty in a regular girl kind of way and tough as hell. The kind of woman who could have kicked your ass in high school, but you still would have asked her to prom. She wears a Walmart uniform with an assistant manager's badge. Hey, babe. Don't you babe me. We're separated. Hey, honey? She looks at him under a raised eyebrow, but it's clear she's trying not to smile. I will stab you with a fork. Where's Michael? At my mom's. I'm heading to work. All right. Ah, right. Um, so I brought you your money. Sorry it's a tad light this week, but I'll make it up. Maybe pay... My pay got docked a little bit because uh, we got fired a little bit. You got fired a little bit? Yeah. Ronnie marked the wrong wall for demo and well, you know. Damn it, Brad. It's always something with Ronnie, isn't it? And you always end up paying the bills. That's not true. The last job we lost was Carl's fault. He's the one who rolled that digger into the pool. Why you stick by those idiots, I'll never understand. Come on, let's not do this. Do what? Talk about how you're letting a meth head and an anger case keep you from fulfilling your potential? Well, Ronnie doesn't do meth. He's just high-strung and catches himself on fire a lot. Like, And I can't just bail on them, you know that? Like, I've been with these guys, taking care of them since we were kids, and Carl hasn't been the same since the Gulf. What am I supposed to do? Just leave them behind? Let them fall through the cracks? Well, maybe you should. Because if you did, perhaps you'd be living here with your son instead of with Tweedledee and Tweedledumass. Darla closes the door in his face. In Ronnie's car a moment later, Ronnie drives as Brad stares out the window upset. Ronnie gives him a couple quick looks and then... Didn't go so well. I don't really feel like talking right now. Okay, no problem. I understand. But I gotta tell you, I have in my pocket something that is guaranteed to make you feel better. Yeah, whatever it is, I don't want to talk about it. It'll definitely cheer you up. I don't want to talk about it. It's just this thing in my pocket that I found in the paper. Ronnie. It'll take two seconds. Will you just shut the hell up, bro? Ronnie keeps driving. He's upset. You don't have to yell. I'm a person who understands English. You can just talk to me. I mean, I, I may come across as like a tough guy, but I still have feelings. You're right. I'm sorry. Ronnie still looks bummed. Brad can't stand that he hurt his feelings. He sighs and then... What do you want to show me? Ronnie instantly lights up and pulls a piece of newspaper out of his pocket. Check her out. Exotic Russian massage. What? No, the other side. An ice fishing contest? Not just an ice fishing contest, my bro, from another hoe. That's our ticket to freedom. One way first class. And how do you figure that? Because the grand prize for catching the most fish is a brand new Silverado 2500 HD and $1,000 cash. We win that. We can start that home business. You're always talking about it. It's what we've dreamed of. Independence. Being our own boss. Yeah, Sorry, but fishing contest is about the dumbest idea you've ever had. Oh, you know it's not. They pull into the driveway of the rundown house they all live in. Ronnie puts the Trans Am in park. Come on, this could be an investment in our future. 
Yeah, you always say that, and then it blows up in your face. Name one time. Brad gives him a skeptical look, and we go to Quick Pops. We're in a flashback in a van. Ronnie drives and talks into a cell phone. Now, I'm telling you, Brad, driving this van from Mexico is an investment in my future. On the sidewalk, Ronnie, drunk, is being held to the pavement by a policeman. Encyclopedias are spilled all around a red wagon. Don't take my world books. That's an investment in my future. And in another flashback, we're in a house where Ronnie is surrounded by dozens of cats. The Humane Society just gave them to me. I know, I can charge at least 10 bucks a pop. I call it flipping kitties. It's an investment in my future. And we resume the scene. Ronnie and Brad are where we left them. All right, yeah, well, this time is different. Yeah, it's always different. Look, I hear you, but I can't even get involved in any more of your schemes or Darla. She's not going to take me back, all right? Brad opens the car door and heads to the house. In Carl's house in the living room, soon after. This is where Ronnie, Brad, and Carl live. It's a wreck in a perpetual state of half completion, unpainted drywall, some visible studs. The only real decoration is an unit is a unit flag and a picture of Carl with his buddies in front of a, ta- a tank in Iraq. Brad enters, followed by Ronnie, to find Carl angrily flipping things over, trying to find something. Carl, you okay, buddy? I can't find my insurance card. He holds up one hand that is wrapped in a bloody towel. And I cut off my goddamn pinky. In the hospital soon after, Ronnie, Brad, and Carl sit in the waiting room. There's a beat. Well, think, where's the last place you saw it? Still attached to my hand. And after that, you pick it up? I think so. I don't know. Blood makes me queasy. I was ripping boards in the backyard, and then it was gone. Uh, did you check your pockets? Of course I checked my pockets, Ronnie. It's not the same one, is it? Yep. All the nerves are dead. That's why I didn't know it was gone until I started feeling woozy. Wow. Twice. Yeah. And they can sew them back on? They can if you can find them. There's a beat. Hey, maybe we should get Carl's opinion on the, uh, you know what? Yeah, now is not the time. Now is not the time for what? Ice fishing contest. Winner gets a new pickup and $1,000 cash. Oh? Ignore him. We're not doing it. Okay, I mean, you could catch up with what you owe Darla with money like that, but okay. Ronnie knows exactly the right buttons to push. Look, first, it costs 100 bucks to enter. You have $100? I got 100 bucks. See, Carl's willing to take a chance. Carl's lost a pint of blood. And what makes you think we can win that contest? We barely know how to regular fish. Oh, come on. We, we fished when we were kids. Once you've done it, uh, you never forgot. Just, just like stealing a bike. Plus, me and Carl can get some books and study up. Ronnie, we don't have the equipment. Or do we? Yeah, I don't, I don't like the sound of your voice. Remember Darlin inherited all those fishing poles from her father? Yeah, Darla's not going to let me borrow her dad's fishing poles. I'm not saying we borrow. I'm saying we steal. We'll have them back before she even knows there's gone, which I guess is borrowing in secret, not stealing, or maybe it is stealing or not. Definitely a thinker. Guys, come on. Carl and I can't do this without you. You're the brains of the operation. I know there's something better for us out there. You know, people like us used to be called the kings of Ohio. Maybe this is our shot. I don't know, Ronnie. How's this? You get those polls I'll give you outright, in addition to our partnership in the hauling business, 
the entire $1,000 cash prize. You can pay Darla back to support you with a little extra for your boy, and Darla won't be mad at you no more. And the next thing you know, dum, 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 da, da, da. Yeah, we're, we're already married. Oh. Well, come on. It'll be a cinch. Brad thinks we're a beat, and then... Okay, I'm in. But if we don't win, nobody says a word to the about this to Darla. Deal? Pinky swear. Oh, sorry, Carl. That was insensitive. But Carl has passed out. And that's the end of Act 1. Act 2, we're exterior Darla's house. Ronnie's Trans Am, driven by Brad, turns into the driveway. His dog, Junior, rides shotgun. Brad stops the car and looks at the house. I'm a fucking idiot. He gets out, followed by Junior, and peeks into the garage window. Empty. He walks up the front sidewalk and raps on the door. As expectant, no one is home. Junior barks, hoping to be let in. Brad pats his head. Hold on, JR. He looks both ways, then digs his keys out of his pocket and tries it in the door. It doesn't work. She changed the locks on us? What does she think we're going to do? Break in or something? He then looks both ways. Come on. Let's break in or something. He slips around the side of the house. We're exterior library at the same time. It's a small town library. Ronnie, who has clearly made an attempt at cleaning up, he wears a loose tie and has combed his hair down, walks up to the steps with Carl. Inside the library, Ronnie and a very nervous-looking Carl browse the stacks. Dang, I gotta read books more. Look at them all. There's probably a book on every subject you'd ever want to know about. And people read them. I'll bet every single one of these books has been read. I hate it here. Be cool. We're in a place of higher learning. Where's the damn book? Hold on. See? Everything here is arranged in the Dewey Decibel System. I'm surprised you didn't know that. So, according to this... A book catches his eye. Good lord, the naked ape. You don't suppose they rent porn here, do you? Carl just stares at him. He's losing his patience. At the same time, in Darla's side yard, Brad tests the windows down on the side of the house. He jiggles one. It's unlatched. You stay here, buddy. He starts to climb in the window, and we hear, Hey, neighbor! Long time no see! Brad freezes, and we reveal Dobbs, Darla's next-door neighbor who pokes his head out his own window. He's a very large, odd beer-drinking guy. Thought you were gone for good. She let you back home? Hey, Dobbin. Um, no, not really. Dobbs takes a drink of his beer and sizes up the situation. Don't do it. I got six months for vandalism after the first wife and I split. We go to a quick flashback at a house where Dobbs has destroyed a room. Feathers are still drifting down from the ceiling. He's spray-painted graffiti on the walls, but in the middle of the bed, he cuddles with a king-sized pillow on which he spray-painted a smiley face, hair, and a little red heart. He cuddles with it and cries. I love you, sweetie pie. Please. And we come back to the present, where Dobbs looks off uncomfortably at the memory. Then, brightly, You know what? Ignore me. Sometimes a real man has to take action. Uh, yeah, th thanks for that. No problem. If anyone asks, I didn't see you. He closes his window. Brad looks down at Junior. You warn me if she comes back, all right? In Darla's basement, Brad sneaks down the stairs and snaps on the light. It's dimly lit and filled with boxes. He spots the fishing equipment across the room and heads in that direction, but trips over a box. Damn it! He puts the box back upright, then realizes what it is. Wedding photos. 
He picks one up. It's Darla and Brad in front of their wedding cake, holding champagne glasses and smiling. It breaks Brad's heart to see this. He sits on another box and begins to go through the pictures. In the library, Ronnie and Carl walk up to the desk. An older female librarian stands behind the counter, looking skeptically at them as they approach. They carry three or four books. Hello, you must be the librarian. We uh, want to borrow these books on ice fishing, so you need our name and addresses or something. Do either of you have a library card? Carl and Ronnie just blink. The librarian shakes her head and pulls forms out of a drawer and pushes them towards our guys. Ronnie shushes Carl and picks up the papers. <laughs> no problemo. They turn to walk to a table. And leave the books here. Carl glares, but Ronnie puts the books down, takes Carl by the arm, and they head to the table to fill out the forms. That looks pretty simple. He gives a form to Carl, who takes it awkwardly in his bandaged hand. Ronnie picks up a tiny yellow pencil and gets to work. Name, uh, Sinchi, age 31, date of birth, driver's license number. Hey, Carl, let's use yours. Mine's a little suspended. You think they check criminal records? Ronnie and Carl share a look. We'll make one up. In Darla's basement, Brad still looks through wedding photos when he hears a car door slam outside. Brad? Brad jams a photo in his pocket, grabs the fishing gear, and hurries to a basement window. He pushes it open when... I know you're here. Junior told me. Traitor. He turns to see her at the top of the stairs, holding their five-year-old son, Michael. You might as well come up. Michael wants to see you anyway. In Darla's living room, moments later, Darla unloads groceries while Junior prances around happily, licking Michael's face. Brad, carrying the fishing gear, sticks his head out of the basement door and smiles. Hey, big guy. Michael runs to Brad. Daddy! Sorry. <laughs> that was my cowboy, huh? Michael leaps for his dad, and Brad manages to catch him and still hold on to the fishing poles. Darla watches them. If you didn't know better, you'd think they were a perfect, happy family. I guess you noticed I changed the L-O-C-K-S? Yes, I-D-I-D. -I -D. A little paranoid. Just afraid some fool might come in and steal the fishing poles. Well, at least I didn't throw away any, any of our wedding pictures. Brad slaps the wedding picture down on the counter. Darla takes a breath and then... I did not throw them away. I put them away. And what the hell do you need those poles for? It's the middle of January. Oh, God. Ronnie's up to something, isn't he? No. It's none of your business. What is it? I'm not telling you because if I do, you're just going to have something to say about it. No, I won't. Yeah, you will. You always have something to say. <laughs> that is just not true. Okay. I'll tell you. Moments later, Brad, pissed, bursts out of the front door with Junior running behind him, awkwardly carrying the fishing gear. And another thing, you're not gonna go, you're not gonna go win that stupid truck because you're all a bunch of idiots. He throws the fishing gear into the Trans Am. Right, that's right. Just run away like you always do. This pisses him off and he comes back to her. Run away? You threw me out because you didn't think I was good enough. I I never said that. I said you didn't have prospects. There's a difference. I'm not a Walmart kind of guy, Darla. You never even gave it a chance. 
In a quick flashback, we're in a Walmart where Brad in a stock boy's smock stands in front of a feminine product display being berated by a 22-year-old manager. The hell you do? You mixed up the wings and the non-wings. They're totally separate products. What kind of idiot are you? Another angle. The manager is sent flying into a stacked pyramid of tampon boxes. Brad rips off his smock and walks out. We go back to the present. All jobs have their ups and downs. You could have stuck it out until you got a promotion. Maybe given your son a chance to get out of this town. Brad takes a breath. He doesn't want to do this. Thank you for the polls. I'll bring them back when we're done. He turns to go. She calls after him. How long are you going to let those guys hold you down, huh? You can't save everyone. You're not some hero. Maybe I'm not a hero. But those guys are family to me. And did it ever cross your mind that maybe I'm doing this because if we win that pickup, we can start a hauling business and I can be the boss and keep an eye on them and also get regular money and give Michael a better life and maybe show you I'm worth something. You ever think about that? Darla's clearly surprised to hear this. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Brad gets in the car and starts it then. I'm going to win you back, Darla, whether you like it or not. You're going to be giving me that key again. And he squeals off. We angle on Dobbs, who sits at his window. He looks down at the pillow from his flashback. Be giving him that key. Mark my words, little lady. Dobbs looks down at the pillow and gives it a little squeeze. Wild Grain. I'm here to talk about Wild Grain. Uh, I've said before... I, I love it. Here's what they here's what they've got for me. I'll read this. Uh, if you've got family and friends coming for dinner, then you're already anticipating that. Oh, my gosh, do I have enough food feeling? It's not fun, but there's no need for it. Get wild grain and you'll always have crowd pleasing bread, rolls, pastries, pastas and more in your freezer. That's not bad. That's some decent ad copy. It's not, uh, you know, exactly what I would have said left to my own devices. But I did say it. But what I will say is that this happens at my house a lot that we just kind of haven't figured out the full meal and we're like oh you know what we've got a we've got a loaf of wild grain in the freezer let's make that or we've got some of that really good wild grain pasta in the freezer let's make that we'll just throw together some kind of sauce and we'll we'll have a meal and it's always good all of these things are good um Wild Grain's the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. That Bake From Frozen is key. You don't have to plan. You don't have to defrost. You don't have to think about this the morning of, the night before. You bake it right from your freezer. You'll never run the risk of getting bored with Wild Grain. They're constantly adding new, seasonal, limited-time special items to try. Every box has got something great, whether it's like cookies, brownies, brioche, buns, English muffins... Uh, different loaves of bread it's always different every time and it's very customizable too if there's something you want to try you can switch out the things they've picked for you uh, plus and this is really cool for every new member wild grain donates six meals to the greater boston food bank so you can eat good and do good all at the same time plus for a limited time you can get 30 dollars off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots to start your subscription that's right you heard me free croissants in every box and they're really good croissants $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots that's wildgrain.com 
slash deadpilots, or you can just use promo code deadpilots at checkout. I hope I have convinced you by now to try this. Uh, it's just a great subscription service. I love, I love my Wild Grain box. Do check it out. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Diablo 4 Final Fantasy 16 Street Fighter 6 Baldur's Gate 3 Starfield Spider-Man 2 Master Detective Archives Raincode for Nintendo Switch? No, is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge time for video games. You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click a video game podcast for anyone who likes games. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. In the library, Ronnie and Carl wait at the counter. The librarian comes back with the paperwork in her hand. I checked. This driver's license number is already in our system. Dr. Hakeem Jalabad? Ah, you can just call me Hakeem. The librarian eyes them skeptically. Ronnie and Carl exchange a look, then look at the books on the counter. We cut to the exterior of the library, where Ronnie and Carl, carrying the books, sprint out of the library as fast as they can and run down the street. Later at Carl's house, Ronnie sits on the sofa, drinking a beer and flipping through one of the ice fishing books. Brad enters from the kitchen with a beer for each of them. You think I should bring one of these for Carl? Nah, he said he's going to take some painkillers. Stump is hurting him. Brad walks to the fishing gear and begins to clean it. All right, you find anything in those books that's going to make us, like, winners or something? Yeah, I think so. It seems that between setting up and cutting through the ice, you waste a lot of valuable fishing time. I figured a way to get a jump on the competition. What's that? Dynamite! We'll blow a hole right through the ice. It'll take two seconds. Ronnie, no, that's crazy. A, it'll scare the fish away. B, it'll kill us. Oh, well, see, fish don't have ears. D, we're not going to be sitting on the dynamite. And F, there's nothing against it in the rule book. I checked. The only rule is you have to pull fish up through a hole in the ice. That's it. The phone rings and Brad goes to answer it. No dynamite. It's a stupid idea. End of discussion. Ronnie grabs the lure that Brad was cleaning and begins to fidget with it. It's not a stupid idea. I think it's a good idea. Brad answers the phone. Hello? And we intercut with Darla's house. Darla holds the phone to her ear and looks at the wedding picture Brad left on the counter. You really doing this to start a career? Yeah. And to get you back. There's a beat and then... You're going to freeze your ass off on that lake. What kind of jacket are you planning to wear? I hadn't really thought about it. I figured. You and Ronnie meet me at the Walmart tomorrow. We'll figure something out. Oh. Well, Carl's going too. <sighs> All right. And Carl, too. One o'clock. She hangs up. Brad smiles. She reached out to him. Just then, Ronnie hooks himself in the hand with the lure. Yeah, get this motherfucker off me! Brad rushes over to help. In the Walmart the next day, we're in the winter sportswear section. Darla, in her assistant manager smock, zips a very warm-looking winter jacket up on Brad, who smiles at her. Behind them, Ronnie and Carl play around with merchandise. Carl's hand is still bandaged. There. That'll keep you snug. This is really nice of you, Darla. It's layaway, so leave the tags on. And bring them back as soon as you're done. And don't mess them up because it's my credit. I won't let you down, chicken. Yes, you will. 
And don't call me chicken what other people can hear. They share a smile. Behind them, Ronnie pounds on his fluffy down jacket. Damn, Carl, check this out. These things are thick. I can't feel anything. Come here. Ronnie starts playfully swinging at Carl. Come on, let me hit you. You, you won't feel anything. Rope-a-dope. Wait, hold on one sec. I, we missed Carl's line there. Ronnie starts playfully swinging at Carl. Come on, let me hit you. You won't feel anything. Rope-a-dope. Don't do it. Ronnie starts dancing around, swinging at Carl, who's clearly annoyed. Brad looks over and laughs. Darla rolls her eyes. Yeah, I wouldn't annoy him, Ronnie. He's still hurt. Ah, he ain't nothing but a big teddy bear. Ain't that right, Carl? Rope no, rope no. Wham! Instantly, Carl has Ronnie pinned by the throat against the display. He doesn't say anything, just stares at Ronnie. It's just a joke. Darla sighs. Oh, Lord help me. Now get out of here before I change my mind. She starts to leave and then turns back to Brad. Don't fuck this up. She walks off. Carl still has Ronnie pinned by his neck. Thanks, Darla. Hey, you think it let me down? A little help here, Brad. <clears throat> Brad heads out. As he passes Carl, he pats him on the back, and Carl lets Ronnie go. Carl joins Brad walking away. Ronnie runs up behind them. And that's the end of Act 2. Act 3, establishing Lake Erie at dawn. Ronnie's Trans Am sp speeds down an icy two-lane blacktop road in the middle of nowhere. In the Trans Am, Brad drives with Ronnie in the passenger seat and Carl and the dog Junior in the back seat, crammed among all the fishing gear. Music blares and Ronnie jams out, pounding on the dashboard. Lady, and I love you, sunshine in your eyes. Da da dum, da da dum. There, there's a turn. There, there's a turn. They turn down a short dirt road that leads to a boat launch at the edge of a frozen lake. Other fishermen are there with their equipment and trucks. And in the middle of the parking lot is the prize, the shiny new Chevy Silverado HD 2500. Our guy's jaws drop in awe. Would you look at that beauty? We close on Brad as we push into his fantasy. Brad drives in the Silverado with Darla and Michael and Junior. They're a happy family. And we close on Ronnie as we push into his fantasy. Ronnie drives the Silverado fast while drinking a beer and firing a pistol out the window. The back of the truck is filled with partying strippers. Woohoo! Then we close on Carl as we push into his fantasy. Carl sits in the front seat, all alone. It's quiet. Slowly, the tiniest suggestion of a smile creeps across his face. Step aside, Mother Humpers, because we're here to win. And as we return to the scene, Ronnie leans out the window, taunting the other fishermen. Uh, that's right. We'll be driving that baby home because we're the motherfucking sheriff. A lake later, in the distance, we can see dozens of fishermen parked on the lake, setting up little fishing houses. We pull back to reveal Ronnie, Carl, Brad, and Junior standing next to the Trans Am. Ronnie pops a beer and takes a swig. How was I supposed to know you had to bring your own little house? I just assumed they gave them to you. Well, I mean, let's quit bitching and get started, man. Like, Carl, where are the power tools? In the back. Brad opens the trunk and pulls out a big power drill. And the power pack? Ronnie and Brad stare at Carl. He blinks. We got to plug this into something. Like, where's the power pack? Oh, right. Dog, you got to be kidding me. We just paid 100 bucks to stand out on a frozen lake in the cold like idiots. What do you think? There, there will be plugs out here in the middle of the ice? 
<laughs> Boy, are you guys going to be happy in a second. Why is that? Because I brought us a little present just in case we needed it. And Ronnie pulls a small stick of dynamite out of his pocket. Dynamite! Oh. Kablam! Uh, Jesus. No. You got a better suggestion? And a little later, Brad and Carl try to dig a hole in the ice with the bit of the power drill. They've managed a small, slushy depression. But as they chunk away, the bit breaks. That's it. Carl throws the drill as far as he can. Ronnie sits back on the hood of the Trans Am, parked a ways away, drinking a beer and watching them. Brad sighs and yells to Ronnie. Fine, but be careful. Ronnie tosses the beer and runs over, pulling the stick of dynamite out of his pocket and grinning. He pulls out a lighter as he stands over the hole. Okay, then. When I like this, we all run for the trans and hunker down behind it for safety. Because when this ice blows, whoosh. He sets the dynamite into the depression, then carefully packs it in with some of the snow. All right, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. He lights it and then... Run for your lives! Everyone turns to book for the car, but on the snowy slush, they can't get any traction. They slip and slide as the fuse sizzles behind them. Oh, God. Incoming! Ronnie tries to run away, knocking all three of them down. Carl and Ronnie try to soldier crawl away, but Brad manages to slither back to the hole. He desperately licks his fingers and extinguishes the fuse. He drops his head into the snow. Everyone pants with exhaustion. A beat. I got a better idea. A little later, Ronnie, Carl Jr., and Brad are in the Trans Am. Ronnie stands out of the open T-top, holding the dynamite and lighter. Everybody ready? He lights the fuse and throws the dynamite. Bullproof. Suddenly, Junior perks up. The lit dynamite lands on the ice. In one quick move, Junior leaps out of the car and runs across the ice after the dynamite. Crap. Junior, no, not a stick. Come back, boy. Come Junior picks up the lit dynamite and comes running back. In the car, Brad, Carl, and Ronnie panic. No, don't come. No, boy, drop it. I got this. Carl opens his jacket and pulls out a pistol and takes aim. Brad sees what he's doing. Don't shoot my dog. But Carl, still in his bandage, can't get to the trigger. Junior hops on the hood of the Trans Am and drops the lit dynamite that rolls down the hood and into the air scoop. Run for the doors fly open and everyone leaps out of the car and runs as fast as they can. Junior follows just as kaboom, the, hid, the hood of the car explodes. Everything vanishes in a plume of white thunder. Later that night, flashing rescue lights, news vans, ambulances, rescue workers bustling here and there. Carl, Brad, Ronnie, and Junior stand by the edge of the lake, soaking wet, jackets ruined, freezing. They talk to a sheriff. I don't know what happened. There, there was this horrible cracking noise, uh, almost like an explosion. And then the ice just broke. Just then, a winch truck drags the Trans Am out of the lake. The hood is blown completely upwards. Ronnie swallows hard. Or maybe it was lightning. One of the doors creaks open. Water pours out, but also dozens of dead fish. A smile crosses Brad's face. Ronnie... You said the only rule in this contest is you have to pull fish up through a hole in the ice, right? That's what I said. That looks like a hole in the ice. And those look like our fish. Carl, go grab a couple of buckets. And we're exterior Darla's house. Brad stands at the front door across from Darla, who holds Michael. She looks at a stack of cash. 
You realize a thousand dollars barely covers the jackets you ruined. You still owe me my support. Yeah, I know. And you'll get it. And once we get the business started, it's going to start rolling in. And we reveal the F2500 HD parked at the curb with the mangled trans chained to the back being towed. Ronnie and Carl sit inside. Check her out. You can control the music with the steering wheel. Ronnie hits a button and the windshield wipers go. Carl takes a breath trying to keep his patience. We're back on Darla and Brad. Well, and I better go. But I want to tell you something. I know you've lost some faith in me. And I know it drives you crazy that I feel like I have to look out for these guys. And now you know you wish I was some white collar Walmart guy. But I think I've needed this win. And I just got one. And I'm not throwing that away. I'm coming back, Darla. And I'm not just going to make some, I'm not just going to be some joker set aside from a deck of cards. Brad turns to leave. Darla calls after. Hey. Brad turns back. Brad, you. And a music cue comes up. Leonard Skinner's Simple Man. Brad smiles and turns toward the truck. He subtly pumps his fist. He gets in just as Carl grabs Ronnie by the throat. A little help here, Brad. And that's the end of Act 3. We're in the tag. We're at Carl's house. Carl, Ronnie, and Brad stand at the 2500 HD drinking beers. Brad puts a stencil on the door that reads, The Kings of Ohio Hauling. Now, honestly, I don't think it was right having all those people out on the ice to begin with. I think it was a public safety issue. We should sue. Ronnie, you dynamited the lake. They don't know that. We might be able to turn this situation to our financial advantage. It's like the world's biggest slip and fall. We won the truck on a loophole. Let's just leave it at that. Carl loads his toolbox into the back of the pickup. When it opens up and a thermos rolls out, he opens it. Well, I'll be damned. My pinky. I must have put it in my thermos to keep it cold. And it's still nice and icy. American made. I gotta say, I feel like things are starting to turn our way. I feel it too, buddy. You boys mind driving me to the hospital? Let's see if we can't get this little piggy put back on. And as the guys pack up, we fade out. End of show. I do hope you enjoyed that, and I do hope you come back next week to hear my interview with Kat and John. Veterans, just great people. Um, Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. Uh, if you haven't already and you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, there's just more and more podcasts. And during this strike, I got a feeling there's going to be even more podcasts. So if you like this one, you know, we've been doing this for a while. We'd love for you to leave us a review. Follow us on social media. Find out all the latest until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.